How do we revolutionize cancer care? What innovations can solve global food scarcity? Can the next big leap in drug development come from a place you might not expect? These are the questions that drive us on New Wave, a podcast where curiosity meets life-changing science. In Nova Scotia, a new wave of pioneers are answering these questions, from reimagining how we treat the most daunting diseases to tackling the challenges of feeding a growing planet. Their stories are as inspiring as they are impactful. I'm Taylor McGilvery. Join me as we dive into these extraordinary narratives. We're not just talking about scientific breakthroughs. We're exploring how these advancements touch lives, reshape communities, and pave the way for a brighter future. Subscribe to New Wave on your favorite platform. Be part of a journey that takes you to the heart of innovation and shows how, in Nova Scotia, we're not just asking questions, we're finding answers. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At tonight's nomination ceremony, I, a 50-milligram Zoloft, as the new head of household here in Kyle's brain, nominate social anxiety and intrusive thoughts for eviction. Okay, anxiety, you have a few seconds to sell your case for why the house should let you stay inside Kyle's head. Uh, I definitely wasn't expecting this. Um, definitely uh, don't want to be on the spot. Um, did I Did I do something wrong? Like, honestly, I just want you guys to know, like, that, like I like you guys, and, and you guys like me, right? You know, I I don't blame you for putting me up. I, I'm the worst. <laughs> um, was it was it what I said last week at 3:06 p.m. on Tuesday? Because oh my god, I, I probably I probably 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 was probably was. Um, you guys all hate me. <laughs> wow, is uh, is he always like that? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, intrusive thoughts. Why should you stay in Kyle Moore's head? Thank you. Um, okay, so imagine your whole family died because you forgot to check the locks on your doors. I, I don't, I don't remember where I was going with this, but yeah, this has been a disaster. Zoloft, you, you have sole control over who goes home, so make your, make the call. Okay, amazing. Both of you, pack your bags because you guys 
are I, honestly i mean you guys are just the worst like it's been nothing short of a wreck just knowing you so yeah there's the music What's going on, guys? Welcome back to This is fucking awful. Oh, Mr. Buzzkill over here. No, this is this is Mr. Save the people listening to this from your 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 ideas. Um Yeah. Uh man, I'm gonna go grab some coffee. Uh do you think you can kick us off? Can you can you handle that? Wait, really? Yeah, honestly, I mean like I've had a really crazy few weeks. Um I mean obviously the podcast is coming out a day late, so uh, you know, if you just want to take the lead, uh, let me chill for a sec. I would, I would very much appreciate. I mean, first it. of all, we had a busy few weeks, but uh, I, yeah, man, for sure, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do this, uh, do this my way. You know, give it a little, little bit of that, little bit of that spice. Okay, have fun. Uh, what's up? God damn it! Kyle left his phone on. Um, what's up guys? Uh, first of all, I mean, apart from that, this, this is nice. Like before we get started, I I mean, I just want to let you guys know how nice this is. You might not even get how nice this is, but wow, this is nice. Um, I guess we'll kick things off with a, a shout out to Jen for the inspiration behind this week's podcast intro, you know, a little nod to the BB can fandom that is, uh, for one reason or another adopted that, uh, Tall, lanky, awkward giraffe that just went to go grab coffee. Um, give Jen a follow on Instagram at Jen Hurst. And if you'd like a shout out on this podcast for some reason, uh, all you have to do is follow at Life's Rec Podcast or at Morsey. More the at Life's Rec Podcast one. Don't really worry about his, uh, don't, don't pat his numbers uh, on Instagram and answer a little question box the week leading up to the episode. Uh, let's get down to business, guys. <laughs> I don't really know where to start. Um, Actually, you know what? Uh, first of all, this episode and all others going forward this season are dedicated to Lexi Dakin's legacy and her family. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work with the family uh, in terms of advocating for increased mental health resources within the province of New Brunswick um, and, and reform to the healthcare system. And, uh, you know, we just kind of want to make sure that, to keep that conversation fresh. So little reminder at the beginning of every episode um, and, and shout out for the Dakin family for doing all that they do because it's, uh, it's incredibly courageous for them to fight for change uh, while they're going through such a tough period. So thank you guys. And uh, recently we actually uh, launched a petition calling for a public inquiry instead of an internal investigation into the death of Lexi um, and how our and wheezing government and hobbled healthcare system failed her. Uh, and that petition, as of the time of recording this, has over 20,000 signatures, which is insane. So first of all, on behalf of both of us, thank you. Um, Kyle's still downstairs, but like this kind of stuff means the world. Uh, I mean, like two years ago when I was making that loser's life, just, just a living hell. Trust me. Um, God, those were the good old days. 
like like I could not have imagined being part of something as important as this. Um, but you know what? I'm really happy that we're here and, and that we're doing this. I would never tell him that, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Secondly, how bad was that that back and forth word thing in our production meeting this week? Kyle was like was like let's go back and forth to kick off the show, and I was like, no, dude, that's lame as shit. And who was right? Me. I was right. Uh, but anyway, this is Life's Wreck, and I'm, I've always, I've always wanted to say this, I'm your handsome, suave host, Kyle's Mental Health, uh, who has never lost to Kyle in an arm wrestling match, funny enough. And like you guys know, there's also this other host who smells like erasers, um, and shame He's going and grabbing a coffee right now, his name's Kyle. Um, oh god, what's the last thing Kyle does before these episodes? Um, oh, our sponsor for today's episode, uh, good old, good old Tether. God, I love, I love me some Tether. Uh, a men's peer support social network available on Android and Apple. It's an opportunity to connect with men who just like, who just get it. You know, with men who want to get some shit off their chests or lift a little weight off their shoulders. Um, it's a great platform and one that Kyle uses. So download it in the Google Play Store or App Store today uh, and start connecting. Guys, to be honest with you, I wouldn't tell Kyle this. There's a lot that I wouldn't tell Kyle, but I, I wouldn't tell him this. This was one of my favorite Life's Rec episodes. Um, we, because of the fact that we talked about some really interesting stuff, like like eating disorders and how gender plays a role in mental health stigma, um, which I didn't really know. Um, I didn't really know a lot about before all this happened. So. Uh, did you get things sorted? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, arguably, I, I'm sure our lovely listeners would agree probably better than you. Well, you know, I'm you, so. Yeah, but like, not like not really, you know. Uh, you introduced Bobby yet? No, but unfortunately, uh, you broke my flow. So, yeah. So, I was just about to, though. See what I'm saying? You always get on me about this, but you get in a flow, and it kind of, and it sucks when somebody comes in and ruins it. I mean, like, yeah, like, I guess. Like, not, not like the annoying way that you do it, but like, I, I get the the concept yeah it's tough being in my shoes huh we have the same shoes uh do you do you want this one dude are you serious like what what's going on well i mean like like yeah like i literally do like i have a coffee um and i, I don't want it to get cold so if you if you want to that is, that is be, be my guest yeah like why why are you in such a nice uh, uh, mood <laughs> yeah uh i'm not particularly in a great mood i'm just i'm just very mentally drained so this is uh yeah a bit of a, a bit of a rare case, but I would I would hop on this. Fair, okay. I'm not I'm not gonna argue it. This week on the podcast, we've got the incredible Bobby Tebbs. Bobby is a podcaster and model, best known for leading the successful campaign to bring mental health education to schools in the UK. He interviews other key figures on his popular show Mental, the podcast that destigmatized mental health. Which, funny enough, and for for some reason, uh, Kyle is actually going to be on later this month. He's an advocate, public speaker, podcaster, model. He's just an all-around inspiration to Kyle and I. Bobby, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Sure. So, how is life going right now? Well, full disclosure. I lost my laptop today, um, so that's how my lockdown's going, no. and I thought I'd left it at um, this, like, co-working oh. space that um, uh, I've been working at to try and, like, have less cabin fever, being at home in lockdown all the time, and then I really couldn't work out how they hadn't found it, 
I couldn't find it at home and I live pretty much mm-hmm. around the corner from this place. And so I was like, did somehow somebody oh. steal it from me within this like five minute walk? Like my mind is going to all these like That's desperately trying to figure it out because um, I've, I need that laptop to record things and it's Friday. And so I don't need to be right. yeah, yeah, it's, finding it's, a laptop over the weekend so that I can do my work. Um, so yeah, luckily my flatmate found it. So we're very grateful for her today. So I'm, so in terms of how I am, markably less stressed than I would have been (laughs) had it not turned up. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Was that just over the past like 48 hours? Like, because I remember when we, we had talked about it, I lost it somehow, uh, in coming home yesterday. And what had happened was I put it on a very full shelf. So it was out of the way and probably safe from the cat. Mm. And so I'd put it away so safely that I couldn't see it (laughs) because it was like hidden. You could only see the very edge. Mm. Um, so it's typical. Oh, it just kind of camouflaged in with all the books. sometimes i i do things too well and then it it bites me in the ass yeah yeah no i i feel that i think that with everybody living at home home right now um i mean i can speak from personal experience i think every about five ten minutes i'm going where's my phone where's my phone i need my phone just because you know you you end up throwing it on a sofa somewhere it falls between a seat and then the next thing you know you're you're stressed out and your day is just spent (laughs) trying to mullage around see if you can find it so yeah. So Bobby, obviously, you know, you have had a lot of success with uh, with mental mental, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, you know, critically acclaimed mental health podcast, a mental health podcast that I've listened to personally, um, that has helped me tremendously among uh, my mental health journey and, and something that, uh, you know, when I wanted to start my mental health podcast, something that I looked up to. So um, having you on the podcast is a huge treat for me. Um, and along with that, you are also somebody who I, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to anybody about eating disorders yet, which is something that a lot of people have reached out about um, and has never been an element of my own mental health journey. And so I don't feel like I have, you know, I don't want to try to give them advice on something that I completely don't understand. Um, and that's just a good rule of thumb for anybody. But um, but yeah, you know, I want to kind of understand a little bit more, especially as a man as well, dealing with an eating disorder. I feel like that's not talked about very often. Um, and I kind of want to know when you realized that your relationship with food was out of the ordinary when it was a problem. Sure. Um, it's a difficult one because it very much came in layers. And mm. it's right what you say about uh, gender kind of complicating it. So it was very much easier for me in many ways to not realize that I had one. Um, so I, I grew up not even realizing that men could have eating disorders. I just simply not seen that out in the world represented. Um, and so, you know, naturally that made it a lot easier to hide from it myself because an element of um, eating disorders in general, um, what across all types really, is there's an element of um, avoidance behavior in terms of coming to terms with it because then you would have to change it. And for many people, it can start out as a crutch that then becomes a reliance. And so then once you've got really bedded into that, a lot of people, by the time they realize how deep the problem has got, they've become so habitual with it that it can become really scary to part Mm. with that or even think about that that coping mechanism being compromised so for me that started off with um feeling like quite a turbulent kid having depression from a young age and being in a very 
high-powered family um, having a lot of expectation and and feeling that I couldn't live up to that and that I there was a lot wrong with me including with my appearance um, and that I wouldn't live up to certain things partly because of having dyslexia mm-hmm. and the contrast that created with how academic my parents were versus what my own achievements were looking like um, in school. And so from there, it was something that felt at times safe and something I could control. And that's why eating disorders, uh, particularly anorexia, which I have, can so often come up in childhood and particularly around the teen years because Mm -hmm. for many kids that's the only thing you do feel you have any control over uh, what you put in your mouth and for me you know that started off as something where you know sometimes I'd eat to feel better and a lot of times I wouldn't eat because I was feeling unsafe or uncomfortable and it was a way to feel like I was in control of something even if the situation felt daunting or the sense of my own kind of failure or inadequacy felt insurmountable Mm -hmm. but what i can do Mm. is i can control this small thing that is mine right and right yeah and well yeah i was just gonna say i mean it's it is interesting to hear that perspective that that was the element of control that was that was missing in your life because i think that a lot of the times people who don't give a second thought to you know what they eat um you know they would think that Maybe it's it's something that's more, I guess, just habitual. It's not something that you're you're consciously doing with intention. So to say that you know within your own life that was that thing is just it's just interesting to me. I just kind of wanted to make a note of it. Mm, definitely, and that's an important distinction because it's not something you get on purpose. You know, you mm-hmm. you have this as something that comes up and at the time can make you feel safe or productive or happier. Um, but it's when it becomes a habit and something you lean on, that's when it becomes a real problem. You know, there's a big difference between someone, you know, feeling a bit unwell on a day and, um, you know, maybe you have a bit of stomach sickness and you don't want to eat versus you're not eating and there's not a reason. And then it's becoming a habit. Um, and so for me, that became very entrenched. And then around the age of 15, I was going through a lot of turbulence at school. I'd um, had a bit of a like fallout with a few friends. And this was a school that I'd been at um, through primary and up until that point in secondary school. So up until then, I'd felt quite comfortable, not academically. I'd struggled a lot, but socially, um, I enjoyed mm. school. And then to get to a point where I felt like I'd lost that as well, then it was like mm-hmm. all of school felt a failure. And I still did have some friends, but there was that big change at a time when you're already hormonal and going through a lot of personal changes as a teen anyway. Right. It it felt massive. And so there was a kind of combination, I think, of not wanting to uh, go for lunch and not know who I'm going to sit with and that kind of stuff. But then also Mm. food being something that I was having a more and more intense relationship with. And so Mm. I then, as a new part of these habits, started uh, going to have lunch in the library or or not going to have Mm. lunch in the library, I should say. Um, And so that's when it became something that was more kind of 
here and there and made me feel better at times to then something that was really a day-to-day thing and that's when the how long can I go without eating really kicked in right did people around you recognize what was happening did you let anybody in on your relationship with food no and this is the thing where it can be so disguised right because for for a few reasons so there's things like the societal um reasons so if, for example um, many people uh that may have larger bodies that then develop an eating disorder that can be encouraged up to a point if someone's mm. rapidly losing weight and then only when they get right. really ill then people are like oh actually now now stop now we're going to mm. de-incentivize this thing we've all right, been praising right. you for for all this time so so in terms of not eating a lot of the times it does fall through the cracks and people don't see it as a bad thing. People don't see the signs. Sometimes people don't want to. Then there's also the element mm. of you don't want to really face up to it. Right. Because you're right. using it to cope with other things. Or certainly that was mm-hmm. the experience for me. So I'm busy trying to deal with everything else. And this is one of the ways that seems productive, but is actually maladaptive. And so I don't mm. want that that to also be a problem to add to my overwhelming list of problems right what at what point did you say uh, like were you able to admit to yourself that i have an eating disorder and this is something that i have to begin addressing oh so years later so i'm able to pick Mm -hmm. a lot of this apart in hindsight but that's why it's kind of difficult to to cast my mind back to this because i was avoiding thinking about it and so i got diagnosed with depression first uh in early adulthood um when i was really at my worst with that and that diagnosis i really welcomed because it made a lot of things make sense a lot of the way i was feeling a lot of the the kind of trajectory of how my mental health was deteriorating and um there's so the nhs is our health service here and they had like an online quiz on the website that it, it didn't diagnose you, but it kind of like like one of those BuzzFeed uh, you know quizzes tells you what uh, Harry Potter house you're supposed to be in, but depression. Well, and anxiety. well, here's the thing, right? So they can't actually diagnose you, so it might as well have been because right. I was still there going through it again and again, and all it does is gives you an indication of you know it suggests maybe you should go see the GP, um, mm. but I was doing it again and again. And like downplaying my symptoms on certain things or being like, oh, what if I choose this answer or, you know, doing it on a particularly day when I wasn't as bad. And Mm -hmm. every single time I was getting go see a doctor, you might have depression. And so by the time I got to that point, it was actually a big relief because I went into it thinking, okay, I'm pretty confident at this point I have depression. Um. And I avoided the impulse to just list all the symptoms because I was feeling them. But I was like, okay, I don't want to just like report WebMD back at them and then get a a diagnosis (laughs) that's not real. So I talked more instead about, and I'm not recommending this. This was just my mindset at the time Mm. Um, and probably an element of self-worth thing that I I maybe didn't feel I deserve some of the support. And so I wasn't going to sort of jump at it too much. Um, so instead, I talked about like str- struggling to sleep and and predominantly started talking about that. Obviously, the doctor asked questions and I responded and I still got the depression diagnosis. So I was like, OK, mm-hmm. yeah, this really is for real. I've, I've not tried just convinced every, yeah, myself. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah so that was um so that was the diagnosis of that one but even at that point eating disorders anorexia wasn't even on my radar so it was only a few years later when I was getting counseling support and I was learning to understand myself better and picking a lot of the internalized stigma I'd soaked up that's Mm. when it dawned on me Mm. what uh yeah that, that must have been I can't imagine that that was easy to hear that you know tacked on to all the other things that you've already had to deal with your whole life that now that was another thing that you that you are continuously going to have to be aware of just kind of like adding fuel to the fire per se for sure so that wasn't as yeah. happy a diagnosis no as the depression no. one the depression one helped made things make sense opened you know the door to me getting support this one I really didn't want and I was still using very much as a coping mechanism. So it's like, how do you Mm -hmm. unpick something that you still feel reliant on? Right. Um, But it it, it still made other things make sense. Like I told you Mm -hmm. off air about uh, one of my favorite like TV characters growing up was Cassie from the TV show Skins, who has anorexia. And when I was a kid, I really fancied her. And I think that was true, but I think there was also a strong element of she felt so relatable to me. I Mm. connected with her character so strongly. And so all these different examples where I look back now and I'm like, ah, (laughs) a lot makes sense. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Can you um, give me a a bit of an explanation as to, um, you know, the different kinds of, of the more prominent eating disorders. As I said, this is an area that I'm not very well versed in and I would love to learn more about. Um, and I know that my listeners might, some of my listeners might be in the same place that you were at where, you know, they might have saying, oh, you know, I've got a weird relationship with food, but not necessarily understanding that this is the path that they're, they're on. Um, I, I would just love if you could kind of give a bit of an explanation about some things that you've learned um, since looking more into eating disorders. Sure. So, so the first one, which I have anorexia, is arguably the best known, but is not the most common, mm-hmm. really. And so here in the UK, according to the Mental Health Foundation, it's about 8% of diagnosed. Uh, I find that surprising. Disorder. That's the one that I've heard the most about. It's really strange. It, part of that may be that it, out of all mental health conditions, it's the one with the highest mortality rate. So you are most likely mm. to die from anorexia. Um so that might be partly why it's uh, so well known in that way. But there's also bulimia, which is similar, but there's the additional element of uh, what's known as purging. So um, mm. trying to reject the food back out of your body um, via, you know, triggering vomiting or um, some people use uh, or using laxatives. Um, so that they're the two most similar. There's also binge eating disorder, uh, which should be fairly self-explanatory. Um, and then there's types of body dysmorphia as well that can come in as well. One that's really mm-hmm. growing for men is colloquially known as bigorexia. Um, and that is mm. a type of, it's, it's really just uh, falls under body dysmorphia in terms of as a diagnosis, but it's called bigorexia for men often because it's where guys have a distorted image of their size, but not that they're too big, but the other way. So that they're too small. That they're too small. And so when you see somebody at the gym that's really massive, that's like Hulk-like, but they mm-hmm. don't think they look like that. They think they're much smaller and they have some mm-hmm. other idea of 
probably what they actually look like mm-hmm. that they want to reach, but they don't see that in the mirror. Um, and right. so that's a real growing one at the moment for men to do with the kind of pressures we have specifically in terms of size yeah. that can be different yeah. to uh, pressures on female bodies in terms of size. It's interesting that you that you bring that up because I know, um, funny and a bit of a backstory on myself, um, one of the things that I always remember when I was when I was younger, um, having a bit of like that, that, well, not a bit, quite a bit of that self-loathing um, and that uh, not necessarily loving who I was. Um, I was always very quick to try to make people think a certain way about me. Um, and I remember I went to a chiropractor a while ago and um, and I she asked me to take off my shirt and I took off my shirt and I was just innately flexing. Um, and, uh, and, and I know it is, it is hilarious to think about, but I realized that I had done this most of my life, this kind of like always trying, like thinking that I had to, okay, I've got to make sure that I look as big and and as strong and and whatever as possible because of the fact that, um, I I felt like there was definitely that pressure. If you were going to be a man and you were going to be an athlete and whatever, and you wanted to be known as that, that you had to, uh, look a certain way. I know that that's not, you know, not trying to push a narrative that, uh, you know, this, that what you just talked about, it, big big dysmorphia, how do you big pronounce orexia, it? It's known as bigger big orexia um, is something that I that I've struggled with, but it is just interesting to know that that is present for a lot of men. Yeah, it's you're right though. It, it is a growing problem, and again, it can fall into these lines where um, it can be going under the radar. It can even be encouraged at times. Mm-hmm. You know, we get the. The magazines like Men's Health. I don't know if you have that yep. over yet. Um, so you get magazines like Men's Health that have these um, completely, completely unrealistic images of men. And they don't even look like that. So as much as mm-hmm. you think of like yeah. airbrushing within the fashion industry um, and mm-hmm. the, the kind of editing that can go on for other types of modeling, it very much exists within that as well. So one of the ways that you achieve the kind of bulging veins look mm-hmm. is that oftentimes for those shoots well i'll say usually for those shoots um the men don't drink any water for 24 yeah. hours before crazy dehydrated yeah. yeah 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 and that's part of how you achieve it um and that can be really normalized in the same way in certain sports like boxing where there's weigh-ins Mm -hmm. dehydration is part of getting into a certain weight category and so that can be really normalized and at the time it seems appropriate because that's what you do in the industry but what Mm -hmm. happens after that guy leaves boxing or what happens with his view of his body every other day of the year when he's not having Mm -hmm. a weigh-in well what i worry about is you know what i've seen in in general high school wrestling clubs where you do see these these kids who are between the ages of 13 to 17 um, who are wearing the sweatsuits and on on the bikes to, to drop weight for their upcoming wrestling tournaments. Um, And I think that those are such formative years. Like what kind of messages are we passing along? What kind of, you know, body image issues is this just innately not to everybody, but in a lot of cases, a, a heightened percentage of these kids going to experience down the road because of what they went through during these times. Right. And this is why it's an issue for all of us, irrespective mm-hmm. of whether or not you have a diagnosed eating disorder. These pressures exist and plague all of us to some extent. And that's why it's so important for them to be toppled. Um, mm-hmm. Because for a lot of people, the the ideal isn't even 
to have that perfect body. For a lot of people, the ideal, I would say, is to care less. That's the one I'm aiming for. Like, right. I have done a lot of work on my confidence and I'm I'm happy with my appearance, even though, I, you know, I still have issues with eating come up at high, you know, stress periods of my life. Right. Um, but for me, the kind of next milestone is is more body ambivalence is for me mm. to care less or maybe care in a way that it's more of, you know, a canvas. It's like, this is what I look like right. and isn't my body great because it can do all these things or it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's carried me through so much in my life as opposed to how do I look in a 2D image that only says actually very little about what my body is capable of. Right, right. It's in, it's interesting that you talk about, uh, you know, being a canvas because, uh, you know, in tandem with being a critically acclaimed podcaster and, and an incredible individual, um, you also model, which is, you know, something that a lot of the times the narrative that I've heard preached is that models and eating disorders go hand in hand. Um, and you are a big advocate for the modeling industry. Oh, for sure. And that is part of the reason why that, that simplistic way of looking at it can be very harmful. Um, because, you know, what is, what's the outcome there? So what, if someone has an eating disorder and they work in the modeling industry, they should quit. I've, I've not Mm. seen that fix the eating disorder. Right. I've not seen that play out. And certainly with my personal experience, training models who um, come into the agency I'm represented by, I'm not seeing people develop something totally fresh. So yes, absolutely. Mm. The industry can make it worse. But generally, people are coming in with um, a distorted view of themselves or some issues to do with body dysmorphia um, anyway. And for mm. that, there's wider society to answer as well, because we're, we're yeah. all involved in this. You know, there's, um, yes, the modeling industry is churning out particular types of models who predominantly, although it is improving, fit very narrow ideas of beauty. Mm-hmm. That is to meet the demand of the big fashion houses. You know, they're not just right. deciding themselves as fashion houses that are picking certain kinds of models and making them the ones that are in demand. And then in addition to that, you've got obviously the consumers who have been sold narrow ideas mm-hmm. of beauty with people um, uh, with the models that are chosen. And then they're buying from these fashion houses because they've been taught that's attractive so they buy clothes mm-hmm. that are put on those people and then they too can feel inferior because they don't yeah. look like the models. So what role do we as a society have to take part in to make a change within that industry and, and hopefully help some people develop more healthy body images? It's a really difficult one because it is such a, a shift that has to be done collectively. You know, I wish there was like one campaign I could point to or or one single change, but really it's a whole systematic thing. So one of the things we talked about off air was the way um, the fashion industry works is this stuff is so baked in, uh, a kind of body inequality is baked in. So if you go Mm. to fashion school in really any part of the world, you will be taught to make clothes for bodies like mine first. So someone that is thin, someone that is tall and, you know, 
thinner than average, taller than average. These are not average bodies by mm-hmm. any means. Um, right. And generally have kind of Caucasian features and build elements as well. Um, mm-hmm. And from there, that's your basis for learning how to make right. clothes. And then everything else has to come off that. And so that's why mm-hmm. it's no coincidence that people who are more curvy or women who might be thin but have uh, curvy features or men that mm-hmm. are kind of smaller than average or even taller than average at times. Um right. They they don't fit the clothes properly. It's not by accident. Mm. It's by design. The clothes are only made for a very, very small part of the population. And then they're mm. kind of hodgepodged for the rest of us. And, right. and so that's, you know, we can talk about absolutely the, the body image pressures that that creates. But also it's just quite dysfunctional. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense. So so that needs right, to, yeah. to be a change. And so little things we can do as consumers is we can buy from brands that are showing a broader range of models in their clothes, for example. Because if they're going mm-hmm. to have, let's say, plus size models, although I don't really like the term, they then are under pressure to make the clothes look really great on them too because they're putting them in their ads so like that's one simple way or you know Mm -hmm. shop from clothes that do it the opposite way show a shop from Mm -hmm. the specialist clothes stores that are designed to dress uh curvy women or um you know you can have like big and tall brands as well uh for Mm -hmm. men and they're doing it the opposite way around they're starting with their core audience and then oftentimes they're actually just as good at making clothes for other sizes as well but they're right. not starting from that that sample size that's unrealistic. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because as somebody who just uh, just an, I would consider myself just an average consumer, um, you know what I've seen a lot of is this like kind of like this this giant um, gully you could say between like you know there's a cliff here and there's a cliff here and you know the cliff here is this uh, you know is the more petite style, the traditional model, I guess you could say. And over here, I find is a lot of the times like, you know, they really like go the complete opposite way kind of thing. I, I don't know how to how to say this quite like eloquently, but I don't think you see a lot of average models, average size models. I don't know necessarily how to particularly articulate that, but like, for instance, when, it's, they, it's interesting when people have... You say that though, because that's part of how distorted it is. So often, yeah. si- oftentimes what are called, and this is why I don't like the term, what are called plus size models are actually fitting within the average for your country. Really? So that is nearer. And so so many of them are the average size. And wow. that's how distorted it is that we've internalized this stuff so much that, you know, people do surveys where they try and guess pe- get people to guess what the average sizes are. And Mm -hmm. it's incredible that this stuff goes so deep. Like you could be an average size and everywhere you go, your size is sold out. And yet you still don't realize maybe that's because it's a common size. Right. Yeah. Because we can get so brainwashed by this. And there's there's ways to unpick that as well. You know, so one thing Mm -hmm. I really try and advocate is with your social media, who you follow is is up to you and who's Mm. suggested by the algorithm is therefore partly up to you so if you can attune Mm. who you're following more whose photos you're liking then it will start suggesting bodies that are more realistic you know it's it can be as simple as that 
Um, in, mm. in the same way, you know, someone goes vegan and, and funnily enough, like loads of the stuff that gets sold to them online is vegan products. Like, right, we right. know the algorithms work like this, but I think at times we could do a much better job of monopolizing on it and being, you Absolutely, know, owning yeah. our algorithm rather than it owning yeah. us. Yeah, that that idea of consumer power kind of, you know, really having an influence on the market, because obviously businesses are, are going to play to what the market is showing. And if we as the market show that this is something that's important to us, then obviously the businesses have to adapt to that. It's the chicken or the egg argument that a lot of people want businesses just to do it inherently. But businesses have no... I mean, they have no push to do it unless the market reflects that choice. So it is a very, yeah, it's a very interesting um, topic of conversation for sure. Um, I, I am curious, what does the, I guess the recovery and the um, like therapeutic process of dealing with a um, eating disorder look like? Maybe not the easiest answer, but because of course, treatment has to vary. Uh, is is mm. the short answer it, it varies very much depending on the individual and with eating disorders it's really important to treat the physical symptoms and the mental health symptoms in tandem and that's something mm. that can get quite lost particularly when people are at their very worst so here in the uk we have certain problems like that where for example there is weight restrictions for certain types of support services which is ludicrous. So there are people, you know, day to day How getting so? turned. That's, I've never heard of that. That's crazy. It is crazy. And that's not just here. You know, that's all over the world. But here is obviously what I'm most clued into. And right. so there's restrictions and people being turned away from treatment because they are not thin enough. That their mm. BMI is not abnormal enough for them to get treatment. And Wow. That is completely insane. But even if you get past that, then there's the element of, okay, by that point, you're so physically ill that there Mm -hmm. can be a skew towards treating your physical symptoms to make you stable, which I totally understand. But Mm -hmm. there always has to be the psychological support as well. You know, just because one can can see more urgent to your life at that point doesn't mean you can't have both. And that's also really important. And so luckily... And so for me, I never got to the point where I was hospitalized. Um, Of course, you know, many people do have that experience. Um, But, you know, this. But that kind of highlights the need for the psychiatric support, because you never know if untreated, there could have been a time when and when I could have got that point. And like with mental health in general, recovery is rarely linear you know my worst Mm -hmm. period was following diagnosis not before Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's not uncommon for people to have those ups and downs and that's part of the process and it's actually part of getting better is an important point you know sometimes we do stumble back in the process of making progress and Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean we failed and we're written off you know there's always hope there's always a way to, you know, get back up on that horse and get back to yeah. it. Um, and so for me, a lot of the support was on the psychological side through counselling, um, through, 
you know, not just going to counselling, but doing the work in my day to day life, trying to yes. find ways to to set better routines, better boundaries with food, examine the mm-hmm. things that um, that feel achievable. So, yeah. f- so that's why it's really important to have this physical and mental health approach with this. So, mm. yes, absolutely. What we need to dig into both sides. We need to dig into what's going on for me, why I'm doing this, where this disorder mm. comes from, but also, okay, what's the practical side as well? You know, maybe I right. don't need to be hospitalized, but maybe I need some support setting realistic goals around food mm-hmm. and finding foods that feel a bit safer and focusing on mm-hmm. getting used to having those back in my diet again or or um you know maybe some people it takes a bit of time to work up to eating in a restaurant again if they've got to the point where they no longer feel comfortable doing that you know that that might take baby steps to get back to that um, absolutely and so that's why these kind of stigmas that can exist can be so harmful you know it's very easy to say just eat but it, it can be many steps for somebody to get to the point where they feel comfortable eating normally um, or yeah. normally for them. Yeah, I think the word just is the most overused and irritating <laughs> word in mental health. It's just relax, just eat, just calm down. Um, and, it, and it would be amazing if it was just that easy. Um, I, I am you know, curious, in your experience, do you think that there were as many um, or as accessible support systems for men dealing with eating disorders as as women? So, no, is the short answer. It is worth noting, though, that yes, absolutely, men get eating disorders, men get all kinds of eating disorders, um, and we are vastly under-recognized in that, and that was certainly a big delay for me getting the kind of support I needed. Um, mm-hmm. But even with that being said, it is something that affects women more commonly than the men on average. Um, so mm. I can understand to an extent why there is more provision for women. What I'm less sympathetic to is there are times when there's major gaps for men. So I've mm-hmm. um, had friends that have gone into uh, being hospitalized for anorexia or bulimia specifically. Um, and all of the resources they've been given are only female centric Mm. so you get a leaflet all about how your period might be interrupted by this or how it could affect your infertility and absolutely important things but you know we've got to we've got to (laughs) realize that it's not just women because this is the way that the stigmatization and the feeling that there's there's not something wrong with you which can feel very appealing mm. you know it can mm-hmm. it can be so scary of course to deal with your mental health so something as small as you not being acknowledged in the help resources can be enough to put somebody off getting the support they need or thinking yeah. that they're a burden or they're a disgrace because you know mm-hmm. they're a man and they should have figured it out yeah yeah well geez let's uh let's you know <laughs> talk about men and women and mental health and gender and all that kind of stuff because it is it is so not it's so exhausting to see this this stigma these layers of stigma that exist because there's already a stigma surrounding mental health coming and talking about it um and then all of a sudden you start to play into the gendered stereotypes behind different you know like eating disorders are only for women the, yeah. you know ptsd is only for men um and it, and it's so 
exhausting that we seem to just continuously as a society set more and more rules for each other as what's valid and what's not. Um, you know, in your experience, you've, you've obviously as a man who's spoken out about his mental health, um, you know, you've seen a lot of, of this stigma. I'm just kind of curious what you've learned, uh, through the podcast and through everything about gender and mental health that you've found most interesting. Sure. There's a lot. It really fascinates me as an area. Yeah. Let's get into it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, absolutely right. A big, problem is of course the stereotyping you know the these Mm. ideas that certain conditions are assigned to one gender or other and in some ways we're only really scratching the surface on this so for example in the uk only um last year was it sorry only two years ago (laughs) i feel like we're still in 2020 at times oh Um, my gosh i know (laughs) so back in 2019 it was passed for the first time that men could get support with postnatal depression and previously Mm. it was known that that men could um, have that diagnosis could have that issue but there wasn't any support for it in our entire national health system so there's areas of it which we are not even thinking of yet so absolutely there's there's eating disorders and there's um, PTSD like you mentioned but that's one where men go through um, chemical and hormonal changes after a baby's born, um, as do women, not to the same extent, Mm. yes. But, for example, our testosterone goes down. And that's an evolutionary Mm. trait, it's believed, to essentially um, help us deal with this crying baby that could be quite frustrating. And so that testosterone, that kind of aggression hormone is how it can come out, reduces because of the risk of okay maybe it's crying and we're not getting any sleep and we might you know chuck it out the window (laughs) right right not not that that's realistically going to happen but but that's believed why that hormonal change happens for example wow um and so of course when you're going through hormonal changes the same as we talked about when you're a teenager and there's that increased Mm -hmm. risk of mental ill health that can exist in other life changes as with women in the menopause something that's really in the very very early stages of understanding the mental health impact of that so that's where gender gets complicated because absolutely there are there are trends there are things that we can see but Mm -hmm. we mustn't let ourselves be caught up in the stereotypes so you mentioned ptsd that's more than twice as likely to be diagnosed in a woman than in a man but oh really see i i had it flipped there you go. So yeah. that's from the Department of Veteran Affairs in the US. So even wow. the veteran service is seeing that in the civilian population, these stereotypes around military PTSD, and that is, you mm. know, the predominant version of PTSD that people think of, that's really mm. harming the general population, that the military services are investigating yeah. it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cause I think that, you know, it is one of those things when I think PTSD and, and this is just, you know, through years of consuming media, you always do think of the movies when the, you know, the war hero comes back and he can't slur the superhero movies when they wake up in the middle of the night and they're freaking out because of PTSD, but you never think about the, the everyday situations. Um, you know, sexual assault, for instance, I am assuming would be a massive one for why, you know, that statistic exists uh, amongst women. Um, yeah, it is. It's something that's so normal, but yet we just, we always try to put rules on it. It's, it's, it is very interesting for sure. How can people learn more about gender and mental health? 
Well, uh, to make a personal plug, we did a two-part series on it. Please um, do, yeah. On my podcast. Uh, so if you search my name, Bobby Temps, you can find that um, online. And um, and so with that, we looked into a lot of these stereotypes. So we had um, a trans woman come on and talk a little bit about the experience of living both under male body expectation sorry living under male and female expectations and also mm. uh, a fellow model and campaigner came on as well um and that was really fascinating and obviously we include a lot of stats in that um but i i guess there's there's ways that we can all examine the ways this influences our life we can start with ourselves mm. and look at what gender means to us because mm. it can be easy to think that we are uh, progressive in our views um, and unstigmatizing if we are open to certain things. But when Mm -hmm. stigma can be so ingrained and narrow ideas of gender can be so ingrained, that does take unpicking. You know, and I had to learn that with my own podcast. I went into it thinking I'm really open to this. I'm really up for discussing this. I don't have any stigma. And no, I was wrong. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it was the internalized stigma that took much longer to shift. Being sympathetic to mm. other people, much easier in comparison to being sympathetic to yourself at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was an area in which you had to be sympathetic to yourself and you had to learn to be sympathetic to yourself? It wasn't just innately there. Ooh, so many. I mean, with... um. With depression, it was a big one, I'd say. Uh, That's Mm. the one that kind of jumps out of all the examples. Learning to beat myself up less for certain days where I start off and I'm feeling low. And I know Mm. that's probably going to set a bit of a precedent for the day. And either either I can hate myself for that, which will make it worse, or I can find a way to deal with it. And sometimes that is taking a break, taking it a bit easier that day. We can all learn these tricks for us you know i kind of think of it as like a mental health cocktail we've all got our Mm -hmm. own recipe that works for us and as much as there's incredible mental health support out there there's always that element of we've got to take ownership and we've got to figure out what our recipe is the flip side the benefit of that is the more you do that the more resilient you are the more um, you can relate to how you're feeling, but in turn, how other people are feeling. You can be a better friend, a better relative if you are happier. and Absolutely, yeah. More understanding of yourself. It's, it's massive. Mm. And this is why I get really annoyed when people talk about like self-care and the reason that they maybe don't do it enough is because it feels selfish. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I can totally oh, relate me. to I, that. Yeah. Yes, me too. I was going to say, I, I've been there. I get that. Yeah, so I've been there, but I think at times we can sort of fall trapped to, you know, maybe it has the word self in. <laughs> we think selfish. Mm. Um, but I try and paint it as, you know, what's much uh, more flattering? Self-awareness. Think mm. of self-care for self-awareness, not for selfishness. And suddenly you're like, ah, I've, yeah, I'm happier. Makes more, Everyone makes else a bit more is happier. Sense. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm very interested because when we had talked off, um, off the podcast, um, you had said that you were somewhat surprised that you had become, uh, 
like men really sought after what you had to say in the world of mental health. Um, and as somebody who is one of those men who has looked up to you <laughs> and your journey that you've been on, that took me by surprise. Um, and I, and I would kind of love to, to talk a little bit about that and why that took you so off guard. Sure. It, it really did. It really surprised me. I never thought I'd be a role model for men. And I think, I'm sorry to say, but I think that is a bit of my own internalizing Mm. the stereotypes around masculinity so i i guess naively i thought i was somewhat immune because i'd Mm. worked very hard to break free of the shackles of you know men don't cry and um you know uh you've got a man up and we talk about that a lot in the uk kind of man up culture this pressure that ultimately when you boil it down often comes down to men are allowed two emotions we can be mm. angry and we can be happy. And that, that's right. that's ours. True. We don't get anything no. else. The full gamut of human experience is not open to us. Um, and that's horrible. You know, that's a horrible yeah. pressure that you're not allowed to even feel properly. And yet there's also these antiquated ideas of you've got to be a provider and you've mm. got to, you know, fix everybody else's problems and you've got to be really practical and we've no need of you being emotionally intelligent. You've got to make money and be strong and tough. And, you know, if right. you punch things, the thing better break, not you, because you've got to be this indestructible hulk of a man. Right. And force, anyone yeah. less doesn't measure up and for the record nobody measures up to that like i love the rock but he's sensitive as fuck and that's part of why he's so cool (laughs) and you know i think we can even see role models like that and not realize because we can get so into the sort of exterior and see someone like him and think he is Mm -hmm. the epitome of masculinity but actually there is no epitome it's imaginary it's made up and it's oppressive yeah. and yeah, absolutely well, it, i know that even yeah sorry even my um you know my friends who i grew up in a rural town in new brunswick canada which is eastern canada you know it's one of those places that's kind of more of that traditional values rough and tumble um places and and my friends who i grew up playing sports with you know basketball football hockey all of these these sports that were very i guess you could say kind of tough locker room culture kind of thing but so many of them I've talked to since starting this podcast and, and really, you know, within my own community have brought some things to the forefront about men's mental health. Um, and, and they've all kind of had that same thing, like that same reaction of, yeah, like, I really wish I could have talked about this stuff, but I felt this pressure to, to be a certain way. Um, and I think that, you know, what doesn't surprise me about why you've become a role model to men is because you're simply a man talking about mental health. It doesn't matter, you know, the characteristics or anything just that alone is enough for people to be like awesome there we go there's just somebody that i can look at and go it's 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 possible you know it's possible and people are going to pay attention and people are going to care um and and that's what's so neat about it because as somebody who i think falls into very much that uh you know lad go and crush some some uh you know beers with the guys on a friday night kind of thing um it's i was always just looking for for anybody who i could identify with um talking about mental health and that's why mental was was a great thing for me so yeah it's it's interesting to to hear that coming from you uh and then to know from the other side of it why i as somebody who you kind of you know said like 
that wasn't what you were expecting for somebody like me to look up to somebody like you. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, I I mean I appreciate it. It's it's really great that you felt that way and that's yeah, such lovely things yeah. to say, but it's um I I think it's a, a part of like with mental health stigma, narrow ideas of gender can run so deep. Right. So even though yeah. I'd done a good job of unpicking a lot of them because mm. I was never that guy, you know, I I think in many ways um it was a surprise to nobody that I became a mental health podcaster because I was always the friend that you talk feelings about or you have a breakup mm-hmm. and you ask my advice or whatever. Um, I was right. always that kind of energy and I never tried to pretend to be anything else. I was never like anybody's football friend. I just knew mm-hmm. where I stood and actually with the confidence I'd worked really hard on as part of surviving certain mental health turbulence i i got away with that you know a lot of people were like okay well he's confident and he is what it is um i also have you know certain traits that that i guess make it easier you know there's there's a variance in this because i'm six foot three and Mm -hmm. i'm white and I'm fairly loud and authoritative and I love being in charge (laughs) and I'm self-employed and so Mm -hmm. I can exist in so many spaces and they're just like oh there's a there's a bloke who seems to have some authority and presence about it um you know so that so there's some advantages but then there's also like you can be a tall guy and look really awkward and uncomfortable you know if you're self-conscious about it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i trust me man i'm i'm six foot four so i i get it um and uh i when i moved to toronto and started going to nightclubs hated it hated it because i felt like i stuck out like a sore thumb no rhythm and i'm just standing ahead above everybody (laughs) else and everyone you could always just feel eyes finding you from around the room and you're trying to you're trying to do it i get it man i get it um sorry i i'll just say one last thing to because of course i haven't answered your question yet um so no it's it's so true and i was like that i was absolutely like that modeling helped me get my posture right you know one of the first things my agent Mm. ever said to me was you've got a lot of smaller friends don't you and I was like how does she know (laughs) (laughs) what is this witchcraft um but it was you know it was my posture I looked like I I looked like I was someone who felt in the way Mm-hmm. You know, that's what yeah, a lot of it yeah. came down to. I felt like I stuck out and I acted accordingly. And, you know, this is one of the fun tricks of like, if you look at power poses, there's a wonderful TED talk on that. You know, sometimes yeah, yeah. when we don't feel psychologically able to make changes, the physical stuff we can do can help us. You know, like when people mm-hmm. say go for a run, you may really hate and begrudge going on that run. But mm-hmm. you may still feel better for it, you know. So sometimes, yeah. Uh, sometimes, yeah, the physical health can be a real route to the mental health. Um, I, I, and- <laughs> I love that because that's something that I also very much believe in is the the very close tie between physical and mental. Yeah, and so sorry to come back to answering your actual yes. question. So I think for that reason, whilst I sh- shared a lot of those kind of narrow expectations and felt fairly comfortable with my kind of androgynous presentation and my being a a feelings guy um and cuddly and whatever else um with that i'd shifted the expectations on me but i hadn't shifted the kind of 
the the lens that it had given me on the rest of the world. And so that's why I was then surprised when men were looking up to me because I was like, but I'm not that thing. I'm, I don't want right. to be that thing, but equally mm -hmm. I'm not. So why would you look mm -hmm. up to me? And actually the answer is to a lot of people, you know, they describe it to me as I feel like freedom by comparison. Mm. I care about that less. I do my little androgynous thing and I, you know, present how I want to present, you know, visually and with my work and have confidence in it. And that feels mm. very freeing for people to be around because it's freeing to do, you know, yeah. and that comes out in the work. And so people can really look up to that. And that's really wonderful to see. But, you know, that's why we have to work on the internalized stuff always. There's unfortunately mm. no shortcut where you get to just be like, okay, I'm not going to care anymore. You, you have right. to actually stop caring yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. It is. I know. I uh, I would definitely say within my own life, something that I preach and the reason that my podcast is called Life's a Wreck um, is the day that I decided to really accept the fact that my life kind of sucked and that like life in general, what was around me was kind of like garbage um, was the day that I definitely started to feel a sense of liberation as to what people thought of me, what I thought of myself. Because I thought, you know, I, I keep trying to force my life into this perfect little square. I try to be the perfect, you know, this perfect guy. I try to be the perfect boyfriend, perfect son, perfect everything. I try to live this perfect masculine life. Um, and I said, and I look, kept looking around and I was like, but I'm miserable and I hate all of this and I hate myself. And this is, so I had to kind of, once I got to that point of accepting that life was a wreck, um, you know, I really started to see that, wow, you know, once you stop having expectations for everything once you stop having expectations for yourself for how you should act in certain situations or whatever you become a lot more authentic and i think that that's one of the best gifts that you can give yourself is allowing that authentic self to really shine through 100 percent. it's it's so powerful and i i love that you know i love that theme um, I sometimes take it for granted with my own work. Like I host a show called Mental. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> that can be a stigmatizing word. And I've gone right. so far down the rabbit hole where you say mental and I've got so much positive association with that word now. You know, that's mm -hmm. such a big part of my life and my career. And I meet so many wonderful people through it. And yeah. there's ways in which we can all do that. And so Life's a Wreck is yours. Um but this, you know, it's like you said, the layers of stigma. Like another thing I yeah. love that you do is you address mental health and mental illness specifically. Um, and so many people don't. So many people, because mm -hmm. of the stigma, are literally fearful of saying the term mental illness. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we even have to deal with sometimes with our guests. People that can yeah. be really incredible speakers on mental health. Um, or even, uh, unfortunately, some medical professionals. And then they come out with something like, oh, um, I've seen people really be treated badly because they have so much mental health. Mm -hmm. And that sentence doesn't make sense. They have, you mean yeah. mental illness is what yeah. they're discriminated yeah, yeah, yeah. on the basis of. Poor mental health, sure. But mental health as a phrase as a, on as its own is the good yeah. one and that's the one yeah we want. exactly um yeah. and so it's really great that you make that distinction because it's all these things that can seem a bit pernickety can be mm -hmm. so powerful for breaking down internalized stigma mm -hmm. i appreciate that thank you um i guess the way that i've always kind of seen it is 
you know, I would like to think of myself as somewhat of a realist. Um, and so, you know, thinking that your brain is somehow so distanced from the rest of your body, um, you know, like I have a bad, you know, you have, you have stomach aches and you have all these different, you know, organ pains or whatever that, that may come about. And you've got a brain that is working 24 seven from the day that you're born until the day that you pass. And yet we, we expect that if you have like this mental illness or something, it means that something's wrong. It's like, I can have a chronically bad stomach and I've just got a chronically bad brain, but that itself doesn't make me a bad person. It just means that this is just going to have to be something that I'm going to have to deal with this illness for a long time. And once you kind of get to that point of acceptance, it's like, all right, let's just, let's just make this work. Let's kind of have fun with it. Let's laugh at the craziness sometimes. Um, And I like that. For sure, because it's not really comparable to other people. You know, that's another thing Mm -hmm. people can really crush their mental health with is this comparison culture. And it's so harmful. And really, there's such power, I think, in making yourself the comparison. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like if you can have a better day today than you had yesterday, that's what it is. That's the only real comparison that's available to you. Um, Mm. You don't really know what's going on inside somebody else's head. We know, although we can forget it at times, we know that people's Instagrams are not real. You know, we are not seeing the photos, the 15 photos they didn't put up. We're seeing the one that (laughs) they thought they looked okay. Um, And so we can kind of logically know this. But when we're having so much stimuli that, you know, the photo is still real. You know, it's harder to mm-hmm. discredit. It's a real photo, but that doesn't mean it's telling the whole story. Um, right. And so, yeah, I that was a real game changer for me, actually, was reducing a lot of that. And, you know, I'm so sensitive to it now that I get mm-hmm. I get quite congruent with my guests at times. You know, when they say, oh, they, they tell me a really authentic story about something they've overcome and I'm sat there mm-hmm. in awe of them and I'm really impressed and really fascinated. And then mm-hmm. so often they follow it up with, oh, but other people have it worse. Right. And that really gets me then because I've empathized with it so much. And then they've just tossed it on it and said, oh, it's, it's mm. not all that. And then I right. feel bad because I've empathized with it. And sometimes it's as silly as it can sound. It takes me telling them that. And then they're like, ah, now I have to change it. You know, sometimes we can be so lost in our little echo chamber that it takes somebody else's perspective to be like, ah, no, I am harming myself there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's one of those things that you definitely like you wonder having that cognizant understanding that people do have it worse is is always like I, I think in my own life is a present thing, like is a is a good thing um, for perspective wise. But at the same time, like it's so discrediting to say to say, oh, like, yeah, like, I, you know, this is what I'm going through, but some people have it so much worse. And then, like you said, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I'm not going to echo exactly what you just said because <laughs> I was basically just about to launch into a, a word-for-word verbatim of what you just said. Although one thing I will add is I kind of agree even with what you said, but slightly disagree because isn't it funny how it's we compare to people that have it worse, but equally there are plenty of people that have it better. And actually, Hmm. neither have a real bearing on our life. So we can say, okay, you know, in such and such a country, um, there's there's a level of starvation that we in our first world countries can't even comprehend. That can be true, whilst also at the same point having very little influence on our life. In the same way, you know, somebody that's just somehow managed to get a big movie deal, despite being in the middle of a pandemic, 
their success has no bearing on us either, realistically. Mm. And so mm. it's kind of part of, I don't know, the human psyche or the way we're encouraged to be so self-deprecating in our cultures mm. that we look at these negatives. But it's, you know, yeah, there's there's people that have it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I think I'm going to change how I start saying that kind of stuff now because that is it is very true. Um, I've got two questions for you left mm-hmm. uh, if, if you have the time. Um, first, first of all, I like to give a challenge out to my listeners at the end of every episode, something that they can implement into their, their days, their week, month, life, whatever, um, something that has, has, can help them live a a happier, healthier life. Um, and, uh, you know, in your own experience in your lived experience and in all the incredible work you've done within the mental health space, what's a challenge that you would put forth to my listeners, something that they can do, um, to improve their, their way of life? Sure. Um, Well, this one is on my mind a lot at the moment because I've recently launched a dating podcast. So I now have doubled my workload with two shows Um, and it very much applies to to both areas is finding ways to love yourself and find your own happiness, because so often we put the burden of our happiness on someone else in a relationship and not only is that um, not fair, <laughs> it's also no. doesn't work. And um, right. we have to find a way to make peace with ourselves for our mental yeah. health. And so for me, a big part of that, we're bringing it back to um, body image and eating disorders, which we started talking with. Um, a big part of changing the body dysmorphia that was a big part of my anorexia um, and still is to a to a lesser extent was finding a way to be okay with my appearance and even find ways to love my appearance and mm-hmm. that can seem so daunting you know it's very mm-hmm. easy to look at the people on instagram that can you tell that i've been on instagram a lot today uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a, easy a constant to, plug yeah look at the people that are um are out there and seem so confident and that seem completely inaccessible because when you're mm-hmm. at your worst that is that is inaccessible right. and that's fine because there are smaller milestones you can make so for me the big thing when i was a little kid who really hated the sight of myself was avoiding mirrors was looking at my parents and thinking what the fuck happened here because <laughs> they look like normal you know humans they're my parents uh-huh. but i guess they're okay to look at um what what happened with me why why do i look so disgusting the first step Mm. was finding one thing to like about myself just find one thing i don't hate and then start to feel okay about it and then maybe even start to love it and from there Mm. once you've done that the first time i think it's the hardest and then you can find more and more and you know learn to really turn that narrative around you know, if you can find a way to love yourself, you can be an example to other people on how to love you. And that mm. that's hot. <laughs> people yeah. like that. And then also another benefit yeah. is you get good at doing that with other people. You know, it's no coincidence mm. that I can meet somebody and, and tell them they've got really beautiful eyes or, or a really specific thing about I love the way you you phrased this thing or this particular mm-hmm. i mean i love your accent and and i can tell you the bits of your accent that you like but it's because mm-hmm. i had the practice on myself finding things i right. liked that then i have endless compliments for other people 
Uh huh. My 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 accent? Your accent? What are you talking about? No, no, yours is better. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's gonna be a tough race. Oh, I love that. I, I love hearing. Um, yeah, that's just incredible, man. Like you know, truly, that's uh, that's some great advice, and and definitely something that I'm excited to to share with my listeners. Um, how can people get involved with with all the work that you do? How can they keep up with uh, you know the the multiple podcasts that you uh, that you host? How can they how can they get in touch with you? Just everything. How can they have a little bit of Bobby in their life? Oh yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so the easiest thing is really just uh, Google my name. <laughs> that sounds a little bit arrogant now that I say it out loud, but I've done a lot of work on my search engine optimization. So search Bobby Temps, B-O-B-B-Y-T-E-M-P-S on Google or in whatever podcast app you like, and my stuff should come up there. Um, I campaign mainly for mental health education here in the UK. Um, so if you're here, sign the petition, uh, which you can find on my website. If you're not here, sign it anyway. The signature still count. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can check out my podcast called Mental, all about mental health, or my podcast about dating called Dating Games, where we talk to mainly comedians and other funny people about trying to navigate dating in this gestures and everything. <laughs> whatever, whatever this is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and, and for continuing to do your work and uh, and know that there are a lot of people looking up to you from around the world. So I know that's a lot of pressure, but you're, you're doing great work. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. How was that, eh? Yeah, the second the second half of the interview was, uh, was better. See, I knew you were going to have something to no, say. Like, you know, the first half was good. Well, well okay. Bobby was good. I mean, it's... Uh, you just you just always leave something to be desired. I don't really know. I shouldn't I works. shouldn't have let you have the reins off the top. I feel like you're I feel like you're power drunk now. No, I was I was power drunk back in university. Remember oh that? Oh my god, yeah. No, for real. Yeah, no. Don't don't remind me. Um since I took the lead off the top, I want to ask you what you always ask me, uh which is what was your favorite part of this of this episode? <laughs> uh nice. Um I mean, can I be honest with you, man? Like it, it's pretty cool to interview someone who inspired me with the mental health podcasting stuff. You know, I listened to mental on and off for a while, but it was something that introduced me to like, like how to talk about mental health. Um, so that was cool. And just like the whole conversation, learning about eating disorders, that's something that like I did, didn't really know a lot about, um, wasn't really talked about growing up, hadn't really been exposed to it a lot. Um, and also like how gender plays a role and how we talk about mental health, um, that all of that to me was love great. that yeah it was nice to have a real advocate on the all podcast. right i'll take it from here you dick um guys thanks for checking out the podcast this week share it to someone who you think would enjoy this conversation and as always you can keep the conversation going on instagram at life's rec podcast or at morsey uh that's morsey with three y's and uh there you can also order some life's rec merch you know support the podcast <coughs> shameless no no just uh just pretty pretty broke but, uh, you know, so, you'll like this one. Uh, some might say that my, uh, my finances are a wreck. So, and life's a wreck. Yep, I knew it. See you guys in two weeks.
shoot. Lysarak. <laughs> 